Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. Today's podcast is actually a conversation from a campaign breakdown that I did with Amber Horsba, who is the founder of Deep Cuts, which is a go-to resource for artists that need help with music marketing, rollouts, and more. Amber is an expert when it comes to this stuff. She was an SVP of strategy at Downtown Records and has worked with some of the biggest brands both inside and outside of the music industry. And both of us decided to do a breakdown on Tyler, the Creator's most recent album release for Call Me If You Get Lost. Amber had some great insights on what he's done from a rollout perspective, why it resonated with so many people, what are some opportunities that he could have taken it even further. And then I was able to share some of my own insights and thoughts on Tyler's business model and how he's grown as an artist the past decade plus and how a lot of his accolades, such as selling out Madison Square Garden or having a mixtape collaboration with DJ Drama, are culminations of what Tyler has been working towards for his entire career and what it means to him today. This is a great conversation. The video for this conversation is on Amber's YouTube channel, which I highly recommend you subscribe to if you haven't already. She has great deep dives on a bunch of your favorite artists and more. Here's our breakdown on Tyler, the creators. Call me if you get lost. We are going to talk about Tyler, the creator, Call Me If You Get Lost campaign breakdown. I am obsessed with this campaign. As soon as the billboard started showing up around the, you know, the different cities and everybody started talking about it on the internet, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do a campaign breakdown of this. I couldn't think of a better person to do that with than Dan Runcie of Trapital, who has created the Harvard Business Review of Hip Hop. And so what we're going to do today is basically break down, call me if you get lost. I'm going to ask for his hot takes. I'm going to try and get from him, where does this fit in like the overall landscape? What does this record mean? What does this campaign mean? But we're going to really come at this from a marketing perspective of like what was rolled out? What was the sequencing? How did he do it? Why did he do it? And see if we can kind of get into the nitty gritty. Dan, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thanks for having me. And thanks for that kind intro. Harvard Business of Hip Hop. I like that. Yeah, I mean, you have. It's amazing. And if anybody hasn't subscribed to Trapital, get it in your inboxes. Do it. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yep. Go to trapital.co. That's where you can sign up. Perfect. First, before we get into kind of the actual campaign, I'd love to know from you, Dan, where does it, this is Tyler's sixth studio album. Where does this fit within, you know, the wider tapestry of Tyler, the creator's output? I look at this as a polished mixtape in Tyler's mm-hmm. repertoire. And I don't mean mixtape in a unpolished type of way or something that it was just thrown together, but how he really conceived this. If we think about it, this was a project that he did in collaboration with DJ Drama. DJ Drama has been well-known in hip-hop, especially during the late 2000s and then the early 2010s for so many of the iconic mixtapes that he had done for a lot of Southern artists at the time. Like He was so big, especially like with Rain and Cheesy when they were rising and dominating, that Tyler, in a lot of ways, had always commented, especially in Twitter, before he became the Tyler he is today, about, I want a Gangster Grills mixtape someday. I want to get this. And he eventually was able to do that with this album. And if you notice, especially since Tyler had dropped Flower Boy, that would be his fourth studio album in 2017, a lot of people felt like there was a turning point where clearly these albums each have 
this type of thematic focus that's clear and you can see throughout Flower Boy was highly regarded. Igor is highly regarded. Call Me If You Get Lost is as well. But the fact that he's working closely with drama and he had to find a way to still have the Tyler persona, but still make it feel like this hard hip hop DJ drama type production is what I think makes it pretty unique. So he's able to do something special by still being his, you know, unique and leading into that outcast mentality that he has, but he's doing something that is very mainstream, if you will, in terms of this rite of passage from hip hop artists that have real bars or have been at the top of their game at some point. And it's able to sit within Tyler's tapestry or is able to sit within Tyler's catalog in that type of way. I've noticed a lot of the press narrative is this is like, this is all Tyler grown up. So I think I jotted down some of the headlines, but it was like, I've got so much like chicken scratch here, but yeah, it was like, you know, he's turning 30 pitchfork was like Tyler, the creator exploring all facets of his talent as a producer, writer, vocalist. We see that on the album artwork, like the passport that he's written very explicitly that all the songs are written, produced, arranged, composed by him. The New Yorker was Tyler, the creator's victory lap. New York times was, this is when pop music or when pop music trolls grow up. How true is this being Tyler, the creator all grown up? There's some truth to it, but it also can feel like a tired narrative at times. And I do think that Tyler himself has acknowledged that, yes, artists change over time. I remember there was this classic blog post that a Tyler fan had written. It was back in 2015. So this was before Flower Boy or any of that. And the fan was like, I missed the Tyler from 2011 and 2009 and the odd future days that was saying a lot of stuff that would get him in hot water now was just really talking about a lot of his frustrations and his depression that he had suffered at the time. And Tyler had wrote a pretty lengthy response of like, Hey, listen, I've been there, but this is who I am now. And artists do evolve over time. So I do think Tyler would even acknowledge himself that even since writing that he's continued to evolve. The thing is though, I do think that there's this overwhelming narrative that because Tyler isn't saying the type of things that would get him canceled today, or he isn't doing the type of shock jockey type things that he may have done back in the early days of the odd future and everything else that people are like, Oh, this is now music that I can vibe to in a way that your mainstream hip hop fan wouldn't have listened to Yonkers or Goblin or some of those other type of tracks. So I do think that there is some truth to it, but I do also think that we can appreciate the growth of, yes, this is an artist and he now with the platform and rise that he has is making music that is winning the Grammy awards for best rap album. But I do think that some of that may be a bit more natural and standard than Mm -hmm. this narrative that we're applying specifically to Tyler, because at the core, I do think there's still a lot of him there. Yeah. I think that's a good point that you mentioned. It's like, it's such an easy narrative to pull. It's like, Oh, this We've watched this dude from being a teenager and he's 30 now. 30's old. Like, it's grown up without right. you know, maybe necessarily being grown up. Yeah, it reminds me, like, people have said the same thing with Mac Miller with the last album that he had put out, like, right before he had passed as well. Like, when Circles yeah. had came out, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, there's so much growth and 
if people were saying that there's so much growth is just because he wasn't making songs about Donald Trump or whatever songs he was making back like in the fifth and a half type days or any, any of those other songs. But I feel like this is a narrative, right? Like people mm. will say this about whatever YouTuber or whoever else is doing their thing and will rise up. Like if there's a version of NBA young boy in a few years that isn't in the legal challenges that he is and ends up yeah. being someone that is more the mainstream, they're going to say the same thing then too. I want to switch gears to this Tyler Baudelaire alter ego. That, to me, is the most interesting thing about this campaign that's the most different. So I think I always talk with artists, which is, like, about how to stand out, and I always say there's three ways to stand out if you're an artist, if you're thinking about artist branding, which Tyler, the creator, is obviously, like, master at. But you can either be you, but just amplified. So be you times a hundred. You can either attach yourself to a wider cultural discourse, like a a cause or a a theme or a mood or something wider that's going on in culture. And then there's also the character, creating a character. And that's what Tyler the Creator has done, which is these alter egos. And every single campaign has this new alter ego we're introduced to Tyler Baudelaire, who's this kind of jet setting, braggadocious, very like of the high life is this well-traveled gentleman with this sophisticated taste of high art, all that kind of stuff that comes through definitely in the lyrics, but it's also interesting because it juxtaposes the production of the, the actual tracks. If you listen to it without seeing any of the visuals, I don't know that you would necessarily go to that character saying those lyrics and all that kind of stuff. The interesting thing about it to me is like this to me feels like more of a pop rollout where you see this a lot with pop artists where it's like, and especially female pop artists where one campaign like a Lady Gaga or a Taylor Swift are going to be, they're playing a very specific character, all the visuals match. So it's like Taylor Swift, she's right now, she's a folk artist, like indie folk artist. So it's the very soft the soft light in the photography, it's the, the undone hair, it's the guitar, it's like out in the woods. Then before that we see her as this like, you know, in Lover, it's like very bright, bubbly, poppy. And then before she's this like a rebel. And then before that it's like pop star, you know, it's, it's these very, these reinventions. And I think that's what these campaigns are, which feels very different to how music is released especially in the ecosystem that we're in. It's this very like singles focused market, more, 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 shove more music all the time under down people's throat. What did you think of the alter ego, Tyler Baudelaire? Like when it was rolled out, what did you, what did your gut say? Yeah, I like the alter ego. I like it because Tyler, even though I, he isn't even like a young rapper anymore, he's over, he's 30 plus now, but it's a throwback to someone that was clearly inspired by artists who made impactful records, specifically albums that lasted. And you can remember the moments, right? I do think that you're right that pop artists do tend to do these things more often but i do think there's certain hip-hop artists who've done these types of things too like i think about kanye and some of the campaigns that he's had around certain albums that have always felt true to that and i do think we're seeing that with tyler i mean if anything that igor campaign really stood out right when he was having and selling those like vote for igor type signs i think it's really cool to see him do that and you're right that we don't see that as much anymore just because now people are much more likely to try to put out music as much as they can. And if you're putting out music every four or five months, especially some of the younger artists are, that's all pretty much based on the same 
persona and that persona is you. It's not even necessarily having the time to put something out. And I do think that speaks to something that's core and germane to Tyler himself. He has always been this person that has been like, I do want to make money. Yes, I do want to be successful, but I am not going to let the art jeopardize those things. Like I am not going to alter it to that much. He'll still do some of the things that I think are still common today. Like for example, the tracks and the length of the tracks for the songs in Call Me If You Get Lost were all pretty short, which I think is common in adapting to the streaming landscape. But he's not the, let me pump 30 tracks in this CD, or let me just give you something as frequently as I can the way that others are. So I find it as a breath of fresh air. I Mm. think that I would be interested to see if this persona of Tyler Baudelaire can continue Continue because I do think that the pandemic may be shortened the life of this in a way where Igor, for instance, I felt like even after that album dropped, it felt like it that stuck with us because we were able to see him perform later on at award shows and all these things. Tyler, so many of these things lined up pretty closely, which is great. But what happens after the BET Awards? What happens after mm-hmm. Lollapalooza? Both of those are great timely performances, but does this Tyler Baudelaire persona continue throughout the fall? Does it continue in the early winter of next year or the next tour that he ends up doing? That's what I'd be yeah. really interested to see. Let's talk about these collaborations. So the pre-pre-launch, he starts collaborating with other artists. He starts warming up, getting back into the spotlight. Then you see this big McDonald's campaign where he scores the the ad. It's the one on YouTube goes for like two, I think two and a half minutes. And it's very much like McDonald's ad by Tyler, the creator. It's not just like I wrote the music in this thing. And that, that in itself, the positioning of that would have been heavily negotiated and intended. Then you've got this Converse collaboration. Yeah. And then you've got obviously all of the artists that are featured on the record. I guess from a business perspective, how does the collaborations play in his overall business model? I think for him, he's been pretty selective with the brands and the companies that he has worked with. And I think he's been able to segment it to some extent too, right? And some of this may tie into the partnerships where... For an album like this, given the fact that, yeah, the music he's collaborated with one of the most well-known mixtape DJs from a certain era, he's now also releasing music at the same time with one of the most well-known brands as well. And he's able to do that in a way, but still have the music that sounds like his. Like, I remember hearing the the Coke commercial and it was just like, okay, yeah, this is something that like only Tyler would make. It sounds like his mm. production, which I think is a pretty powerful place to be able to get to. So I think it lines up with that. There was something else too that I saw him say about even his own clothing brands and how he segments that where Mm -hmm. for Goff Lafleur, which is much more higher end and upscale, at least in terms of things that he'll do, I think he's more willing to do collaborations with that type of brand as opposed to Golf Wayne, which I still think he keeps as like, yeah, this is kind of like my everyday type of thing. So the same way that he's able to segment his clothing, I think in a lot of ways he can segment his music in that type of way where, yeah, there's certain things that may make sense for the brand collaboration, but there's other stuff that I'm only going to save for my type of thing. In terms of the business model, slow and steady, talk to me about the business, his business model. Yeah, I think that Tyler's climb, especially to the point that he's at now, has been a slow and steady growth pattern. 
there are plenty of artists. If we think about Tyler's breakout moment, if you go back, it was 10 years ago when Yonkers came out Mm. in terms of the time that a lot of people saw that YouTube video that were like, who is this person? Of course, there was the Tumblr stuff without a future before that, but from like a boom, like headline perspective, there was that. And then people started to notice at that point, there were plenty of artists that got big that have, you know, came and went that skyrocketed well before he did. And it came back down. There are plenty that have, you know, rose and continue to rise beyond that. But Tyler, it's not a coincidence, I think, for him that he's really been able to hit this stride and he's never really went down in terms of popularity. It's really just been a steady, steady climb. And I think that steady climb is reflected in the liveliness and the strength of his fan base. You have all these people that for so long have felt like this was their thing, right? Like Tyler was their person. Everyone else could be fans of Drake or Nikki or whoever else was the big pop stars at the time, even someone like a Meek Mill, if you will. But no, Tyler was theirs and he was able to rise with them to the point where once he did become mainstream, a lot of them, I think, have stayed. And the fact that Drake had performed at his camp flogged dog carnival and they booed drake is a testament to that because i just don't think that would happen to many other people right and that was so crazy to me i mean maybe i don't get it but it's just like that's the biggest artist in the world maybe like arguably to get booed off stage is like i mean one how could you predict that and then two it's like it's very rude from a fan perspective I think I couldn't believe when it happened. I was like, that's just, that's being bad human. Yeah. It it was symptomatic of a few things. It was symptomatic of Tyler's fan base. I think it was also a symptom of the era that we're in now for better or worse. Right. I think this is a, you take the fact that this is a group of people that have felt like they have been outcasts along with Tyler and felt empowered to do so. So if we think about that same persona of Tyler being someone who we'd easily say, yeah, fuck the Grammys, F this, like I don't want to do this mainstream type of thing. His fans are also the people that are saying F this, I don't want to do this mainstream thing. And Drake is the epitome of all of that when you really think about it. So so brand collaborations with McDonald's. Like you can't get more mainstream than McDonald's. No, that's true. That's true. And he's been able to find a way to still do those things, but not have it be this like big, broad thing that he's able to still get, I think, hate on. And maybe that's part of the difference, right? It's, I think a lot of people do see Camp Flogna as the Tyler event, if you will, right? And then whoever you have as the surprise guest is the capstone of that. So it almost be like, okay, you have a key, you're going to this conference and they're telling you who the big keynote speaker is. And it's someone who you did like not expect. And you're just like, what? And I do think that, yeah, for Tyler and the big brands, Converse, I do think has, you know, a little bit of that like off kilter style. McDonald's is a little different, but I wonder if it depends on the type of thing, right? Tyler's able to make his type of song for a McDonald's commercial, right? Mm. Which I think could be very different than him doing a McDonald's meal like Sweetie or uh, yeah. Jay Balvin or BTS or yeah. Travis Scott or one of them, right? Yeah, for sure. What do you think the rest of this campaign is going to look like? I would like to see some more performances that come yeah. from some of the bigger events that are coming for the rest of the year. I think he's already got two of the good ones within a month of the album dropping between BET Awards and Lollapalooza. He already has the, at least, videos out for many of the singles, so I think that part of it's there. 
I think it would be good to see some type of tour because there's just so many spectacular visuals that I think could be really cool. Something that I think he may have alluded to, but we didn't quite see is he's such a creative artist that he could extend this to have some more type of multimedia experience, right? Like what does the 39 minute length music video or type of visual album experience look like? We've seen so many other artists do things like that. And Tyler really hasn't done it on that big production type of level. And especially given the news this week of, Travis Scott and A24 doing a collaboration soon for his next album. Mm. I could definitely see Tyler doing something like that, given the worlds and the personas that he's able to create in, in, in this type of thing. And I think his fan base's alignment and interest in that type of experience in general. Questions for you, I'm curious. Is there anything from this campaign that you wish was different? Anything that you think he could have improved upon based on what you've seen. Yeah. I think I'll start with the strengths that I think that he does really well that I don't think a lot of artists can is creating these worlds that people are really obsessed with. So it's like, and it seems to be really heavy on the visuals, not as much on the content. And I think that's where I'll get to in terms of like the improvements, but he creates these images of what he looks like, how he's styled, you know, the brands he wears, the clothes he wears, the music videos are all, they all exist within the same world. Whereas in a lot of campaigns, you can have different characters, different scenes, different aesthetics for every different single. Whereas everything in this from like the teasers, from the passport on the album cover, the billboards, the music videos, everything that he was posting on Instagram, it's all from the same world. And then that world feels very different to Igor and Flowerboy and like everything else. And so it's this reinvention. I think that that's really compelling. And especially because it's so like, it stands out so much. So anyone from this moment on from throughout the rest of the year, if they try and do this, like throwback to a, this like Lux, almost this Lux Swiss jet setting kind of, it's going to be like, oh, you copying Tyler, the creator. Whereas like, so he can, he can really own these, these images. The one thing that I think, I think that that in itself is really compelling, very difficult to do. What I did find was that it was so visual led, but not so much content led. So it's like, you've got the character, you've got the images. It, the images were so compelling that a lot of the people when he started dropping these teasers actually thought a feature film was coming. Yeah, so I think that the the visual world's really interesting. I think that what is missing from it for me is the content. So it's like there's six official music videos and then his Twitter feed is like, very, very active. And he's got all these, he's done these lyric posters. He's been like very serious around making sure that everybody knows the lyrics are right. He even like tweeted Genius and Apple about getting the lyrics right and redoing them and stuff like that. But there doesn't seem to be any of this like fast paced, always on. We're in an environment where that consistency is rewarded. And I think a lot of, especially for emerging artists, I don't think that you can take this Tyler, the creator approach where it's like, we have these hero visuals. These are really strong. These are very expensive looking pieces and then nothing else to kind of support it. And so I think it would be interesting to see like, what is the always on strategy for Tyler Baudelaire? How does he kind of extend through like TikTok or daily showing up daily on social? And to be honest, I say that and it sounds almost like, 
reductive of like how can you take someone as important as iconic as Tyler the Creator and reduce him to like always on social media and I fully understand that coming out of my mouth but it's also the environment that we're in where it's like that's the game that we're playing so I think that to me is missing and then I think also that big tentpole creative activation. So that like Travis Scott Fortnite, Marshmallow Fortnite, that like really cutting edge future forward brand partnership, collaboration, creative tentpole that everyone's like, whoa, that's the thing. Because to me it's like the thing that everyone was talking about were the billboards and that's very traditional media. It was great earned media because everyone was talking about a handful of billboards popping up around the world, but it wasn't super future-facing or anything like that. So it's like, and maybe that's coming, like maybe that, you know, whatever he's going to do is coming, but just there's a, a very clear world that he's created and he's creating. And I think that trying to incorporate some more kind of, yeah, that marquee creative event that you're like, everyone's like, oh my God, you were there when Tyler dropped blah, or like, did you go to blah? Like whatever that thing is, I think that that is missing and that's, that might still be to come. That's a good point. I do think that there's a great opportunity for him to be able to tap into this, just given all the capabilities and everything that's possible now. And given his place and his importance at his record label, I mean, there's not too many more artists that are signed on a record label that are more priorities than him, especially now, just given the artists that have dropped who has it in the time frame right now. Mm-hmm. That said, I do know it's very difficult to extend the life of an album, especially in the modern era. Things just change so quickly. For yeah. instance, I think about J. Cole and I feel like if he was to even put something else out that was off-season related, it would almost have to remind us about the off-season again because of mm-hmm. how much has just changed from like a conversation perspective where in so many ways it almost reminds me of what's happening in movies or anything related to streaming where something captures the consciousness for a short amount of time and then people move on to something else and if you're able to and i think that definitely became tougher in the pandemic but if you're able to capture that it's great i think tours are obviously a good way to do that like i think what the weekend was able to do to extend everything related to after hours and blinding lights that was pretty good and i think he was able to do that because every few months there was something else whether he made sure he was wearing that same red suit at every awards show every appearance there was that ai thing that he launched on spotify there was that tiktok virtual concert there was something that was there each of these times And he really didn't let, I would say, maybe six weeks go by without another reminder of like, oh, yeah, there's the weekend pushing this. Yeah. Tyler, I don't know if he necessarily has the desire to play the games the same way that the weekend did, because I think obviously part of the frustration is that the weekend checked all those boxes of things you Mm. need to do to try to win, you know, and get all the accolades and he doesn't even get nominated for things. So that doesn't exactly reinforce those things. I also know that from a reach perspective, the weekend is just a bigger star than Tyler just being, you know, objective and relative. So some of that can be different, but just given everything Tyler's done could camp flog. Nah, if he plans to have it later this year, have a Tyler Baudelaire theme, like that could be really yeah. cool. So yeah, I, yeah. I think there's opportunity there. 
how important do you think like merch is? Cause I know that's something that he's spoken about where he necessarily didn't want to just slap t-shirts on and he commented on that. He only yeah. did a few things with Igor and maybe just a thing or two here. But I do think that merch in general is something that just helps extend the life of these things, especially given some of the artists that we've named. What do you think about his decision to not do it? I get where the decision came from. I know in a lot of interviews he was talking about the fact that he hates merch and that, you know, he's got two fashion brands and doesn't want to slap his face on a T-shirt. Fully understand that from a creative perspective. From a strategic perspective, I think it's a gaping hole because people from a fan and, like, consumer psychology, they, like, from a fan perspective, fans want to commemorate moments and that's the role that merch plays so it's like it's cool that you know you can have great looking merch and it be like fashionable and you want to wear it and stuff but at the end of the day people wear merch as a signal to say that I was at this event I'm a part of this person I support this person this artist and my supporting that artist says something about me it says that I am cultured and this is my aesthetic taste this is the world that I exist in and these are the type of events that I go to and so by not having merch I think from you miss out on on that that like evangelism almost and that ability for the fans to be able to like get on the hype train and then also to commemorate things. And then you have, you know, a piece of clothing that is in somebody's wardrobe that they might cherish for many, many years or like, you know, pass down to the kids or becomes their favourite vintage shirt, all that kind of stuff. I do think that from a fan perspective, the merch, merch is important. And, I mean, can be a significant revenue driver, particularly if you're an artist like Travis Scott or something. Yeah. But he's got these two fashion brands and it seems he seems to be an artist that is – far more creatively led than like playing the game. Do you think this is Tyler's peak though? Like, how do you think about that? And that's something that I think about, like, you don't think so? Nah, I don't. I think more so from like the landscape, I think unfortunately with the pandemic where like, because just from like a consumer point of view, everyone's still stuck at home experiencing artists through their phones or like online. Things are moving way quicker. I think you can see also on the charts are way more volatile based on viral songs. So it's like things go really quickly in and out. And I think in the advance, in absence of touring, you don't have these like extended life cycles of records. And so things come and go. So I wouldn't say that anything that's released in this pandemic era is going to be the peak of any artist's creative output because we're so limited in terms of what you can actually do from a marketing perspective. And I know he's like announced tour dates and stuff, I think just yesterday, but I think that this like live streaming, this like sitting at home live streaming, you know, many parts of the world are still in lockdown. And so they're not going to be able to like go to, yeah, either either go to shows, not that touring is like the main point, but it's certainly a really critical element of like the actual in-person live experience and that like deepening the fan connection to a body of work. And I think without having that, you lose a lot of that, just the power of the memorability and the connection with audiences. And so I don't, yeah, I don't think it's not necessarily Tyler, the creator, call me if you get lost specific about if this is his peak, but I think the environment and the circumstances that are, 
put forward on artists at the moment are so challenging in order to be able to really make that person sitting at home being like, this is my favorite song forever. Like this is my favorite. If they're introduced to a new artist in this time, I think they need all the, you know, the experiences like seeing him at a club and going to shows and driving their friends places and playing it in the car and all that kind of stuff that you just don't get because we're just experiencing everything through a phone at the moment. Right. Yeah, that's a fair, I think, qualification for a lot of this. I think it's hard to evaluate it from that perspective. What I will say about Tyler, though, just given the fact that like the slow and steady rise of things, it's not like mm. there's going to be some sharp decline the same way that I think artists that very much relied on the system have had. Yeah. It. But because of who Tyler is and I think his own desires and limitations to not do certain things, he isn't by definition in those choices, he isn't going to be as big of the star as like a weekend or a Travis Scott, like from that type of perspective, because he just probably wouldn't allow himself to do the type of things that they've done, not in a bad way to them, but that's just kind of how it is. So I do think that the things that he's done, like these commercials and brand partnerships for your McDonald's, your Cokes, or you're selling on Madison square garden, or even as big as Igor was, and how big the last Camp Flagna was, I do think that's probably the biggest that we'll see. I don't think that means mm. that you can't see that again in the future. I think you definitely can. Like you can continue this on for a few years, but if that's the current level and the next level up is like outdoor stadium status or, you know, selling yeah. 500,000 in a week or whatever it is, I just don't think that we'll see that because that just isn't him. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about? this filling the dream, this DJ drama mixtape, and then going into this rollout being a sign of acceptance? Yeah. I mean, for him, this was a opportunity to do something that checked a box in terms of Tyler's acceptance and role in hip hop. I think for so long, even though Tyler branded himself and assigned himself as a outcast because of how he grew up, because of how he perceived, he was able to compartmentalize a lot of things. And he even said this in recent interviews, for instance, like when BET had reached out, he at first kind of, you know, disregarded those types of opportunities. But when they came calling, he's like, okay, no, I grew up on this network. It would be great to be part of this. Thanks for having Mm -hmm. me. And I think a lot of that ties into some of this album too, because just the concept of who DJ drama is and being able to now do a tape with someone, because I think DJ drama represented a lot of what was big and popular at the time when Tyler was seen as the strongest level of outcast back in the blog era when so many artists and there was such a strong movement of artists breaking out and people like Drake or Kid Cudi or Lupe and all these artists that I think rose from that, that we came to know Tyler couldn't get placement on those blogs. And there were plenty of public yelling matches between him and the owners and the, uh, the people, the editors and chiefs of those blogs. So him being able to do that is kind of like a, no, I'm here. Right. Yeah. So he can say those things. I remember there was a tweet that someone had put out about him right before he had won a Grammy or saying that he would never win a Grammy. And then he ended up winning a Grammy. Right. There was also you hear in his lyrics, he's talked about the fact that he sold out Madison Square Garden a few times now in different songs. That's important to him because I think yeah. there's certain venues and certain things like selling out Madison Square Garden, selling out the Staples Center that are like, boom, they're images. People don't forget those. And it's a status of, yeah, you're here. And for him, those are all signs. And it's clear that even though he's achieved so many of these things, and now you tie that in with some of the 
branding campaigns and opportunities that he's had recently that have kind of fallen in line with this album as well, whether it was Coca-Cola or some of the others, there's clearly like a boom. This is a stamp of me being here. This is what I'm doing. And I think that is a sign of, yeah, that acceptance, that importance. And even though he's not someone that's overtly trying to be accepted, I think that part of him still, you know, really likes when he is, even if it's a company that had disregarded him for not or wouldn't have given him an opportunity eight, 10 years ago. That was actually something that surprised me a bit of how genuinely it seems to be genuinely grateful of like all these looks. And so in a lot of these interviews that he's in at the moment or even on just social, like he gives all these, I don't know, a lot of artists will look at like a TV performance or like a Grammy or something and be like that and be like, it's rigged. It means nothing or like, and, or just they don't really accept it. But he genuinely seems really like, pleased and thankful and grateful, which is really, I don't know, it's really nice to see, I think. Yeah. And, and took me by surprise, especially if you think about this alter ego, which is just like almost above everything. It's actually really nice to go like, oh, I actually really wanted to be on BET. And when they asked me and when I performed a song that was the hardest rap on my record and I killed it, and then I got these compliments from these other artists that were there. I, th- I thought that was really nice. Yeah, it it speaks to the human element, right? And there is an aspect of him that I think is probably true with a lot of people, right? When the Grammys get something wrong, the narrative is, why do we trust this award show in the first place? Why do we put stock in it? They've messed it up so many times. When someone that we likes win a Grammy, it's like, yes, like, let's go, you celebrate, right? And if we're being rational, you can't have it both ways, but we want to be able to have it both ways, right? So I do see... Tyler as someone that you easily could have said to himself at points, yeah, screw them. I don't care what they're doing. I'm going to continue doing my thing. But on the other hand, yeah, when those accolades come, oh yeah, no, like, thank you so much. I'm eternally grateful. And that's just kind of how entertainment works. Yeah, absolutely. So... I hope everyone enjoyed this. I mean, we were able to cover a bunch. We talked about the rollout itself and what he specifically did for different steps. And we also took a step back and talked about Tyler specifically. What type of artist was he leading up to this point? What were some of those key moments in his career? And I think with that, so many of the things he's doing are linked, which made the conversation so key, whether we're talking about what he could or what he could or could have not done from a merchandise or from a branding or collaboration. And I think most importantly, what this next six months and what this next year will look like, because it's going to be different given the pandemic. And it's also going to be different given the fact that he released this album, this era where things are even more continuous than they were in Igor. And he's a really creative artist, so I think he could be a test case that a lot of people are going to be learning from, especially in the next year or so. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. That was wicked. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trapalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week. Thank you.